0: Well, the message of Ephesians that we've been studying in these morning services together seems so very relevant today, doesn't it? As it speaks to us of God's ultimate plan to bring unity to a broken world, a world fragmented by human sin and calls the church to display that unity now in the Middle of time. That's really the the, uh, the message of Ephesians and the focus of the few verses that we're focusing on this morning, which is Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 6. So if you would just turn to them, I'm going to read you those verses. We're going to explore them in two sections just briefly this morning. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, that's page 1175 in the Church Bibles. and through all and in all. Well, a little bit later in the service, I'm going to explore the connections between this call to unity in the verses here and the place of music and worship in the church, which we're focusing on more today. And there are many connections, not just the obvious ones. But first of all, I want to spend a few moments just letting these verses speak with their own voice, and it seems to me they divide into three little sections, surprisingly enough it's always three isn't it? Um, the first is verse one where we hear the call to unity we are called to unity as a prisoner for the Lord then Paul says, "I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received now the you here is A plural you. It's a you all or you together, not just you as an individual. And the appeal here is passionate. It's not just, if you think about it, it would be very nice if you did these things. It's strong. It's, I urge you. And what Paul is urging is for us to live together within the church in a way that reflects the calling we have received. Now, what is that Calling. Well, if you just look on into verse 4, you'll see the language of calling comes back, where it says we are called to one hope. In other words, the calling is something to do with the future. Back in Ephesians 1 verse 10, we saw that God has this huge plan for the whole of the universe to end the fragmentation and to bring it back to unity. That is our hope based on the promise of what God is going to do. And so what Paul is doing here is urging us to live together as Christians in a way which is worthy of that hope, that hope of the end of fragmentation and the restoration of unity and harmony. Live in a way that's worthy of that hope, Paul is saying. Be part of that future where everything is united in Christ and therefore work for peace and live united in Christ now. Now, the verb here for live is actually literally walk, walk in a way that's worthy of this. In other words, it's not just a vague idea of kind of how we're using our life. It's walk. It's grounded in action and reality. It's practical. See, unity is a lovely idea until you have something you feel really strongly about. And then unity doesn't seem very important anymore, does it? One of those things you can toss out for the sake of the bigger picture of your preferences and convictions. But no, unity is not just a nice-to-have among the people of God. It is God's whole plan for creation, and therefore it needs to be walked, lived out deliberately in self-discipline, self-sacrifice, self-control. Yes, even when we have strong feelings whether it's about music to reference what we're coming to later or covid or some of the other things that we disagree at still the call to unity stands. And remember calling who's doing the calling god is doing the calling. This is the script he writes for his people. And he doesn't really give us the option as to whether we live it. He says, no, walk in a way that's worthy of the calling you have. But how? Well, that leads us to the second section, verses 2 and 3, which are about keeping unity. And according to Paul, to keep unity, we need three attitudes and two commitments. Three attitudes and two commitments. The attitudes are in verse 2. They are humility, gentleness, and patience. Humility, gentleness, patience and patience, the attitudes that promote unity. I'm not going to spend longer on them other than to say, just ask yourself the question honestly, whether those are the attitudes that we are cultivating. Maybe even something in church this morning has already riled you. It happens, happens to me sometimes. But are the attitudes that we're cultivating right now, those of humility, gentleness... And And we're not talking about the person that really annoyed you. Talking about me. Talking about you. The attitudes that promote unity. Of course, that doesn't mean ignoring hard things, avoiding hard conversations. But it means that when we must have those hard conversations, we're to be self-aware and self-critical and self-controlled in the way that we speak to others. Rather than just sounding off. In fury, the attitudes that promote unity. But then there are these two commitments as well. Uh, First, to bear with one another in love at the end of verse uh, two, bear with one another in love. That's cut a bit of slack, assume the best rather than allege the worst, avoid acting as if it's my way or the highway. And then the second commitment, verse two, verse uh, so verse uh, 3 to make every effort to keep The unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Bear with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity. Notice that language, keep unity, because it's telling us that unity has already been given us through the work of Jesus. Jesus has united us through the cross and in the Spirit. That was Ephesians chapters 2 and 3. It's a given, it's God's doing, not ours. But we can keep that unity and honor it, or we can despise that unity and disregard it, and damage it. And Paul calls us to make every effort to keep it, which doesn't mean push for what you want and hope the unity survives somehow. It means what it says, make every effort to keep this precious unity that God has given. And then verses 4 to 6, celebrating unity. Because the unity that God gives and wants us to keep is a reflection of the unity of the Trinity. Verses four to six. There is one body, that's the church, indwelt by one spirit, who is himself the foretaste of our one hope of new creation. There is one Lord, that's Jesus, who is the center of the one gospel faith to which we witness in the one baptism. There is one God and Father who embraces this is all who trust in his son and is over us, works through us and in us as his family. Called to unity. Keep the unity. Celebrate the unity because it's a godlike characteristic. Lockdown for sure, made unity harder. There's no question about that. It siloed us. It separated us. It weakened our relationships. It reduced our tolerance of difference. It rather turned us all in on ourselves, I think. So whether it's in our musical tastes, our cultural differences, our different opinions on secondary issues, our frustrations at times with church, our struggles with individuals, here's the question. Will we allow lockdown to cause us to throw out our unity or will we work at it even harder? Or to put it more pointedly, will we walk away from our calling or will we embrace it and walk in that calling? Ephesians 4, and the verses that we've been exploring, really lands with the challenge that we'll see more in next week's passage, actually for all of us to bring the gifts that God has given and use them to build the church. That's where we end up at in verses 11 to 16. So uh, that's mainly for next week, but it's very relevant to what we've just heard. So I do want to underline what Dave and Jules have uh, shared this morning and really encourage you that if God has given you gifts in this area, and if those gifts aren't being used in the church, please start the journey of exploration. And lots of new people have joined Ababa in the last few months. And I guess that Among many who've joined, uh, there are gifts that we haven't yet discovered, and maybe God has brought you into the church for those gifts to be used and to be a blessing. So please chat to Chris, to Jules, to Dave at the end. Please come along to that jamming night if you're uh, able, and uh, please see how God might want to use you uh, to bless the church through music. But why talk about music on a day when the passage is about unity? Well, actually quite a lot of reasons. I'm just going to give you three briefly. And many of these have been hinted at already. The first is that actually music is an important way in which we express our unity as church. Just think about the experience of singing in church for a moment. Where else do you find a few hundred people saying exactly the same words in time with each other? Where else do you find a few hundred people engaging their minds and actually often their emotions too in a single, united, deeply felt response to the same truths? Where else does that happen? Where else do you find the riches of different instruments, different voices, different tunes, different styles, different rhythms, different harmonies, all brought together in one synchronized response and shared experience. Where else does that happen? I know some of you are thinking it does at St. Mary's. (laughs) There's not so many instruments there. And actually, it moves all around the stadium at different places, different times. It's great, but... But there is something incredibly important about the gift of music to bring people together and to articulate a shared and common response to what we're thinking about. It's incredibly rare. It's wonderfully profound. And I believe we should regard it as deeply precious, something holy and sacred to cherish. Music. Slows us down. It takes so much longer. Matt picked this up, didn't he? It takes so much longer to sing the same words than it would take just to read them through. And in slowing us down, music opens our souls to absorb truth deep into that, into our experience. And then it unites us in expressing together our response to that truth. So in this deep and rather unique sense, music expresses our unity. But so to, uh, to avoid elephants in the room, let's face it, music also challenges our unity. Why? Because we all like different kinds of music. In fact, it's much more profound than just that we all like different kinds of music. Because music is deeply linked to culture and therefore identity. So it isn't actually just as superficial as what we like and what we don't like. It's to do with we're comfortable with one kind of music. Or sometimes several. But we can feel quite alienated from another. This runs deep. And that's why it's inevitable that music, as well as expressing our unity, sometimes challenges our unity. I'm, um, I'm now old enough. I hate saying that. But anyway, I'm now old enough that the music that was so important to me in my early years of walking with God has now pretty much completely disappeared. And most of the time, I'm actually okay with that because I like being stretched and I like learning new things and discovering new ways of engaging with God. But I'm going to tell you my secret. When I am feeling beaten up and I can't get my head straight, do you know what I do? I sit down at my piano at home, and sometimes with tears dripping off my nose onto the keys, I play hymns from the 19th century and earlier. Gospel songs from the 70s and songs that we sang at our wedding three decades ago and at the funeral of our boys in the years that followed. That's what I do. Honestly, I don't wish that most of those songs made up most of what we sing in church because I think God wants us to be church for the world I live in today, not the world that I lived in a few decades ago. But I do sometimes need to create spaces where I can draw on that past and feel grounded again. And I guess some of you feel that as well. I could say an awful lot more, but I'm probably wisest to stop there because I probably managed to offend everybody in the course of saying that. But what I do want to say, I want to say thank you for every time you've put your love for God and desire to worship him ahead of your cultural identity and musical preference, and let yourself truly worship him in music that feels a bit alien to you. Whether that's because we sung a hymn and you don't like hymns, or because it was a bit loud and you didn't like that style. Whichever way it was, when you said, my desire to worship is actually more important than whether I really resonate with this musical culture. And you let yourself worship God anyway. Thank you for doing that, because it's so important for the unity of our church when we do. And can I say, if that never happens to you, I think something is a bit wrong. and needs to think about that. Actually, wasn't it great the other day when we all sung that song in Swahili? Totally different culture for many, but not all who are here, but very precious. I, I have to say, I wish we did that and were able to do that a whole lot more often. It was very precious. Rich. Because this is the final thing I want to say precisely because of its cultural diversity, music also enriches our unity. It expresses our unity, it challenges our unity, but it also enriches our unity. You see, the unity that God loves is not a unity of uniformity, like some North Korean political loyalty parade. No, the unity that he loves is when a diversity of people are brought together in a common love of the Lord Jesus. That's the unity that thrills his heart. Precisely because, as we saw in verses four to six, the unity of the church is meant to reflect the unity in diversity of the Trinity, the one God who exists eternally in the three persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of unity that is the future of the universe because it is the unity of God Himself. And it is profoundly a unity in diversity, not a unity of uniformity and monoculturalism. And if we can get beyond the toxicity of musical culture war, then music can be a fabulous tool to embrace and celebrate our diversity so as to enrich and deepen and broaden our unity so that our worship becomes a real celebration of the unity in diversity That is the very nature of God Himself. So, this morning, I want to encourage all of us let's give thanks for the gift of music and for our wonderful musicians. Let's value what they bring. Let's use our gifts to support and strengthen and pray for their work wherever we can. And let's resolve to resist the music culture war and instead make music a gift that expresses and enriches our unity as we worship our great and awesome gods. Let's just pray together and then we're going to f- sing a final hymn. And as we pray, let's take a moment of silence just to consider what our individual response will be to what we've heard this morning. Maybe it's the challenge of those Attitudes which foster unity. Maybe it's those commitments to bear with one another in love. To make every, unit, every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Maybe it's a challenge about our own attitude to music and even musicians. Maybe it's a calling to get stuck in and bring the gifts that God has given to us. However you want to work in us this morning, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, please write your word deep into our hearts and help us to walk it in our lives, practically day to day, in our conversations with one another after this service today, in the decisions that we make in the weeks that come. Thank you so much for the gift of music. Thank you so much for the gift of musicians within our church community. Please encourage them this morning. Strengthen them in their work. And please provide all that they need going forwards. And Lord Jesus, by your spirit, would you give us grace to walk in the unity that is your gift to us. So that the world can see that there is hope. For God is on the move to heal and restore all things in Christ. Amen.